Hi, everyone. I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. John Hasna, CEO and Principal Consultant at Lab Animal Consultants, and Jeffrey Zinda, Principal and Leader of Perkins & Will's Science and Technology Practice in Boston. John and Jeff recently joined us for a webinar where they discussed practical options for housing and infrastructural design to sustainably improve animal welfare, data reporting, and reproducibility through the use of new technologies to acquire animal activity data. Okay, let's jump right in. So the first question, and John, I'm going to direct this one to you. What other kinds of experiments could you imagine doing with the DVC, both uh, within and outside your research area? Thanks, Liam. So I presented on infectious disease, but we can also be using this system for many other areas, such as cancer research, any of the behavioral type components. Um, there are studies that Technoplast has been putting into their archives and they can be reviewed by some of the participants in regards to that. But it's really quite versatile and very open. And the main thing here is activity and looking at cage activity, group activity in regards to this and how the animals are affected with the activity levels overall. So it's very applicable across many different uh, areas of science with that. Excellent. Thanks a lot, John. Here's a good question for Jeff. What's the impact of high-density housing in older existing animal facilities that often already experience issues with maintaining an appropriate temperature or humidity level during the winter? What would you suggest for these cases? That's a really good question, and it's going to be one of the uh, prototypical answers of it depends. But realistically, the impact of high-density housing is comparing and contrasting the macro environment to the micro environment again, and looking at how some of the better designed high-density systems that are out there can also mitigate temperature and humidity at the lower level or the rack level. So there are ways, even though your macro level facility may be struggling uh, for one reason or another as, as a facility ages, there's ways to offset that through the proper selection of densified caging. So in, in concert with one another, we have run into very few situations where you can't overcome some of those failings. Now, obviously, that's related to the order of magnitude of, of what the difference might, but really look towards some of those systems that can provide you know, microenvironmental control of the environmental parameters, because that's really what counts, not so much the people spaces or the, the macro environment. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I think, oh, sorry, yeah, John, do you have anything to add to that? I was just going to add in that, Jeff, some of the newer blower units actually have control for both humidity and temperatures on them that can help with that and at the rack level. And I think you covered that. So excellent response, Jeff. Fantastic. Agreed. And Jeff, I think I'll direct this next one to you. How do you handle the heat load of a room if you reduce the air changes per hour? Again, a very good question. There is a certain amount of rejected heat into a space, but as we look at improved technology, um, especially with advanced motors, uh, ECM technology, things of that nature, um, the amount of rejected heat into a space is relatively little. And as long as we're hitting those baseline maintenance measures, then reducing heat load is very achievable. 
What we have seen is as we're reducing the amount of, of heat load or, or the amount of air change rates in spaces, the direct connection of exhaust, uh, perhaps supplying air from a room into a blower unit, but then directly connecting that exhaust so the, the rejected heat isn't going into the room, but rather channeled into an extract has become more prevalent over time. Uh, so that's one way to, one strategy that has become uh, increasingly popular as that shift is occurring. Fantastic. Great answer. And John, I think I'll direct this next question to you. With the decreased need to perform cage changes, how does this impact health monitoring? For example, does less frequent handling of the animals, have you observed changes in their health? The ability for the systems to look at night when the highest activity is has then good correlations with what the animal's health is and actually has better prognostic ability than what we have been able to do at the human level, going ahead and looking at cages on a daily basis, which may only be a one or two second observation related to resource and be able to predict that health of the animal that way. So actually, I think it's a better prognostic indicator and it augments what we still do in the room during the day. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Great point. Next question here, and Jeff, maybe this one's for you. What wireless standards are currently being used, and are they affected by things like NMR or MRI units? Um, So I guess I could read that two ways. Using wireless access in MR or high radio frequency interference environments is always difficult uh, because of the amount of, of Uh, interference produced in those spaces. So we tend to see shielded data cable being more predominant, hardwired connections. Now, however, you know, the current standards for 802.11ac is really the the most advanced, if you will. It's the most uh, highest throughput, most uh, recently adopted international standard. Because of the frequency range that operates at it, it mitigates to a certain degree high fields. It is better, uh, but it is not flawless. Really long story short, in high interference zones, looking towards non-wireless technologies where possible is advisable. And that might mean you know, kind of daisy chaining or linking wireless access points to hardwired service in those high, higher interference areas, but, but being free to distribute access points in non-interference areas in other parts of a facility. I hope that answers your question. It's a topic we could spend a lot of time on. Good question. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Fantastic. Well, great answer. And I think in the interest of time, we'll maybe squeeze one last question in. Here is a, a good question. John, can you house uh, rats in the DVC and or could you house maybe a single rack with multiple species of rodents like a mouse, rat or a hamster? So that's really a question more for Technoplast in terms of where they're developing some of the DVC technologies. But my understanding is we're they are moving toward going ahead and adapting that into the rat caging as well. And of course, you can go ahead and house different species in different cages as long as they're isolated enough from each other. That way you would have to have your iCook approve that, of course. And that is usually obtainable related to how the airflow situations and designs of the racks are for that. That is achievable and can be done.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.